Good morning. How are you today? Nice. You love that spring, sunny weather out there? Yeah. My name is Dave Sherwood. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. Welcome you to our services today. If you are a guest, we'd super encourage you after the end of the service to head out into the foyer, turn over to that pallet wall. It's our guest services section, and you can find out all kinds of information about the church there. Uh, in addition, some of the announcements that I've got, you can sign up for some stuff as well. So, I love it. He's all rockabilly today. Did you see that? You had the black converse and like the rolled up <laughs> pants, the white t-shirt. It's tight. Um, I've got a sermon to preach, don't I? Um, so what we are doing is we're switching gears a little bit. We had Easter last week. We're going into a new series, and it's going to be um, kind of about emotions, and it's going to be about some of the emotions that are difficult to navigate. And so with all of that in mind, um, I'm going to tell you these two announcements. We're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into that. So announcement number one is pancake breakfast, Saturday, June 1st, 8 a.m. to 10.30. Tickets are 8 bucks. They're available at Cornerstone or Feels Like Home, and the proceeds go towards our Benevolence Fund to help out people in the area and Austin's Angel Fund. You can get more information about that as well in our guest services area. Market on the Tavern Green is next Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., it's at the Clerks Ferry Tavern in Duncannon, and you can be a part of our marketing team there. We're going to jump in. Anything that's sort of for Perry County, we want to do as many things as we can for our community to serve our community, to connect to our community. Um, so that's an opportunity you can jump into as well. Sound good? Yeah. All right. Let me pray, and we will jump into today's festivities. Father God, we come to you this morning, and Father... We need your help. There are some emotions that hit us, Father, and they come and they go, and there are some emotions that hit us and they seem to stay forever and wreak a lot of havoc. We find ourselves victimized and overwhelmed by them. We would ask this morning that your spirit would guide us, that your word would guide us, that we would find your wisdom, your way, your thoughts, your feelings for us as we navigate our emotions in this life. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said, amen. amen. So I'm going to be talking, um, uh, the series is basically called Sparks in the Dark, and we'll be talking about anxiety, and we'll talk about woundedness and all kinds of fun stuff, but we're going to talk about depression today. You excited? <laughs> yeah. How, how could you not be? excited about depression. Um, so the question is, what's this sermon going to feel like a little bit? Well, it's, it's not going to be a sprint, it's going to be a marathon. What I mean by that is this. So some sermons feel like a sprint, like you say some truth and at the end of it you feel like all amped up emotionally, you're like, I'm going to go apply this, yeah, let's boom, let's get it done. If you've got the challenge of long-term depression, dude, this sermon is nothing like a sprint. This is about a marathon. It's about learning how to pace yourself, learning how to engage the way you need to engage, because this is a very real challenge, and it's not a challenge that's faced real well by getting all jacked up and amped up about it. Does that make sense? Okay. So let me tell you a little bit about depression, okay? One out of three people in this room will have a, a, a bout of clinical depression that'll last someplace between three months, maybe six months, maybe nine months, 
Okay, so a good portion of this room is going to get some little taste of depression. One in seven people in this room uh, will get the, the full Monty. And what I mean by that is you'll get it and it will hit you and it will stay the rest of your life. Other people will go through little seasons of it here, there, and elsewhere. If you've been here any length of time, I've talked pretty openly about the fact that I have clinical chronic depression. And what does that mean? It means that when I was 14 years old, the clouds rolled in and they have never left. Every single day, 50% of my energy reserves are spent fighting it off. It's exhausting. And I kind of hate it. And I've tried all sorts of things to get out of it. Okay, so if I tried some medication, I have tried some medication. It, it really hasn't done anything. Did, did I go to, and I mean this in a kind of fun way, did I go to the crazy charismatics and get whacked in the head? I did. And they poured oil and they said hoobly scoobly doobly. And I believe all that stuff is true and cool. I really do. But that didn't, have, it didn't take it away from me. Have I listened to some, you know, Bible verses, you know, and, and, and did I take two Bible verses and call me in the morning and it was like, okay. No. In fact, because I'm 50 years old, I can tell you pretty honestly, you go back 30 years, man, nobody was getting in a pulpit talking about this. Or if they were, they certainly weren't talking about themselves. Because what happened when I told people that I was really depressed, it's like, oh, don't you... Don't you have any faith in God? My, my, my son-in-law is a missionary in Haiti. You know, it's way worse there. Okay. I, I was really depressed, but now I'm guilty and ashamed and depressed. So thank you for that. That's great. I, 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 I thought I was low enough, but apparently not. So the question then becomes something like this. So if this thing's going to hit and stick around for a while, what, what am I going to do with it? We end up with two big options. One is to fold and one is to fight. Now, what do I mean by fold or fight? What I mean is I love the idea. I cannot possibly over-exaggerate. I love the idea of the fact that I'm a victim of a disease. And I am. I, but I love the idea of it because I can kind of weasel my way around the fact that I'm then ir- ir- I can be irresponsible. Like, I, I'm too depressed to do that, or I, I don't want to do this, or that. You know, I don't feel up to it. I just, that, that's what I do. I can, I can be completely irresponsible and fold my cards and let depression own my life, dominate my life. And diminish my life. And it looks something like this. Option number one when you fold your cards in depression is to just go into shutdown mode. I'm a dude, so there's dudes here. Dudes will understand this. Some women will understand this, but dudes will totally understand this. I have crappy emotions. Well, forget that. Shut down all emotions. Put a tourniquet on your heart. Now, now I'm good. I just I don't feel anything. I get my Work done, I get my tasks done, I plow forward. When, when, you, when you put the tourniquet on your heart, did you, 
Did you just put it on depression? No, I don't know how to do that. I shut down all emotions. So there's no joy. There's no peace. There's no happiness. There's no wonder. I just shut the whole thing down. And then the question becomes something like this. Why bother living? You've taken most of the quality components in life, the things that make life qualitative, and you've just put a bullet in the head of it. Another option with the whole folding thing is just get distractions. If I don't like the crazy going on in here, then what I do is I need to distract myself. I need to be a workaholic, and I need to binge watch Netflix, and I need to be up till 3 a.m. playing some video game, and I need to be doing something because I don't want to have these thoughts in my mind, so I'm going to turn myself over to somebody else's thoughts or busyness and hope it all goes away because of that. And if you'll notice, shutting down all your emotions isn't a good option. Massive distractions is not a good option. The third is anesthetics. What do you mean by anesthetic? Well, I'm really depressed. Way back in the day, the way this thing worked was, if you were really depressed, you'd go to the bar, and that was your free counselor. Plus, he had pharmaceuticals, so he'd give you a bottle, right? And then we advanced, and you know, we did counseling and stuff, which is great, cool. I totally believe in all of it. You go to your counselor, and they get, they get paid to listen to you talk about how you feel. And I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. I'm not punking on that. But what I am saying is that it's easy to feel completely alone in your depression. And when you feel completely alone in your depression, you go find anesthetics. That's your porn addiction. That's your affair. That's your alcohol. That's your heroin. That's your all kinds of fun stuff. And that's the way you take care of it. Now, if you think about the brokenness of humanity and you ask yourself sort of the open question, what does God want us to do with the fact that we're experiencing brokenness? I've got a few things for you to consider today. One thing to consider is that you need to fight back against your depression. Absolutely, go get counseling. Absolutely, if it's a brain chemistry thing, go get the brain chemistry help that you you need. But there's some other things that you can do to fight. You can resist. You can redirect yourself in certain ways. And you can engage some things that we'll talk about here in just a minute. But the biggest thing is you, you you have to learn to take responsibility. Say, this is my challenge. My favorite professor at the seminary that I went to is named Dr. John Hanna. He's a very quirky, weird guy. He's brilliant. He had two PhDs, which I can't even imagine. When we found out my son had dyslexia, I was talking to my professor about this, and he shared that he had dyslexia. And I was like, what? How do you have dyslexia and get two PhDs? And he said a really interesting thing to me. He said, he said Dave, here, here's, here's the deal. Everybody's broken somewhere. There's no bell curve where there's this, like, there's a whole, most people are normal. And there's some freaks on the edges, like me. No, 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 no. It's a flat line. Everybody's broken. The only question is, where? Maybe you're a workaholic. Maybe you're OCD. Maybe you're this, maybe you're that. 
But the brokenness of sin in humanity hits everybody, just hits in different sections. The big question becomes, what are you going to do with that brokenness? In my professor's case, he didn't take dyslexia and say, I can't achieve something. He said, no, it's just, it's just my challenge. Everybody's got a challenge. Adapt, overcome your challenges with God's help. We are at a point in time in our society, America right now, where the suicide rates and the depression rates for teenagers are at the highest point that they have ever been. The depression rates and and the suicide rates for people in general in the United States are at the highest rate that they've ever been. The whole 40-year-old man to 60-year-old man is a sweet spot for suicides in the United States right now, and I'm sitting right smack in the middle of it. Why 40 to 60? Well, 40 to 60, you realize what you're not going to achieve, the jobs you're not going to get, the esteem you're not going to get, the power you're not going to the prestige, and you start to realize, oh, I'm not a kid anymore, and it's not going to turn out, and I've been working like a madman to get there. I'm going to have you watch a video here in a second. And the reason why I want you to watch the video is I want, I want you to see somebody that's kind of going through depression. I want you to hear a, a worship song that's kind of talking about what they're going through and trying to uplift them. But the big thing that I want you to notice is, what does a depressed person look like? I mean, do I look depressed? I look like Joel Olstein with a better outfit. Right? So you don't laugh that much. Stop, stop, down. My point is this. There are plenty of people in this room going through deep depression. We want to be in community with one another. We want to understand how depression works. We want to understand how God redirects us about things. Watch this video to open up your heart a little bit. Somebody, somebody, somebody 
in scripture in Isaiah 53 that Jesus is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. So it's not like when we talk to God about these things that he doesn't understand. What I want to start doing as of right now is starting to put some of the options on the table that if you are left, as I've been left, with a stewardship of depression for the rest of your life. These are some things that you have to put into play. One is, you got to sleep. It's part of how your brain reboots. You blow it off long enough, you screw it up bad enough, your emotions, your decision-making process starts to collapse. you got to eat. Not too much, not too little, multiple times a day. You need to get help if you need to get help. You need to go get some counseling. Sometimes there's things you can change about the situation. Sometimes there's things you can't change about the situation. Depression happens sometimes, again, because of the chemistry. Sometimes it's a traumatic event. And the waves that ripple out from that traumatic event, they they never go away. They ripple out and they ripple back. But sometimes there are situations that are making us depressed and there are adjustments that we can make. There's some connection points that we need to make to God's creation, to God's community, to God himself through worship, and through processing our depression. But the big thing that I want to say kind of about this control and connect is basically this idea. It's an old story. You've probably heard it before. There's an old Cherokee having a conversation with his grandson. 
And this old Cherokee Indian basically says this. He says, there's a fight going on inside of me. It's a fight between two walls. It's a terrible fight. One wolf is evil. He is sadness, depression, quitting, self-pity, apathy, and anguish. The other wolf is good. He is joy, he is peace, he is love, he is hope, serenity, empathy, and faith. And this Cherokee who's talking to his grandson says, sooner or later this fight will happen inside of you as well, as it happens to all people sooner or later. So the grandson thinks for a moment and asks, well, which wolf is going to win? And the old Cherokee says, the one you feed. Now, why is that so true? Well, as somebody with depression, I can feed myself darkness. I can feed, I can exhaust myself and eat terrible and listen to Satan, and I can feed the darkness. Or I can, I can fight it, and I can feed it light and love and hope and goodness. And it takes time for things to have an effect. The first thing that I want to say in terms of resources is talk to Jesus. It says this in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who has been, listen to this, one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy, we may find grace and help in our time of need. It's easy to go, well, there's this great big God and obviously I'm failing him and he's perfect and he's so busy and who am I? I'm just an idiot. And what does he understand about how I'm feeling anyways? Well, that's the beauty of having Jesus, all God, all man, stepping into this plane of existence, seeing, feeling, and experiencing the human condition. We see his tears at Lazarus' death, and we see his anger, and we see all kinds of emotions in him. So when I step into, I need to talk to God, he has compassion. It says at the end of the verse that we may receive mercy, compassion. Now, why is that so important to us? Because there's nothing worse than trying to talk to somebody about something that they don't understand. Okay? I made the mistake at a party once of starting a conversation with somebody, and they said something, something that they were an accountant. And I was like, really, tell me more. And they talked for 45 minutes about things that I was not interested in and didn't understand. <laughs> Same thing. Okay, if, I, if I'm going to go talk to Jesus about something and I feel like Jesus doesn't understand, I'm not going to have that conversation. 
But if I step into that moment with Jesus and I, and I go, he knows what it's like to be abandoned, denied, betrayed, acquainted with grief, a man of sorrows, I can pour myself out in prayer and tears and I know that he does what he said he would do, which is offer mercy, compassion. His arms come around me. What else does he offer? He offers grace. It's a fancy way of saying he, he wants to bring blessing. He, he wants to bring something to the table. And then it goes on and he says he wants to help you. Now here's one of those tricky things that we're about to get to. How does he help? And is, is, it, is it quick? It's not always quick. This is the hardest thing about all of this is we want everything instantaneously. How many of you remember when you tried to get on the internet and it used to go... You've got to be a certain age. If you're under that age, you're like, what the heck is wrong with... Heck? My point is this, instantaneous gratification, you know, that they deliver meals and Wegmans will deliver things and you get instant internet and you get instant this, that, the other thing. And so our society has been real conditioned to boom. And when it comes to dealing with depression, you kind of have this option between vices and virtues. What do I mean by that? I mean, we've already talked a little bit about it. You can run to marijuana and you can run towards pornography and you can run towards all kinds. And you know what? Vices, by and large, boot up instantaneously to help you. They're the friend that's like, I'm there. We're buds. Now, they're going to crash your car. They're going to create nothing but negative consequences. And, and when it's all over, your depression is going to have doubled down on you. But for a, for a brief period of time, it works great. Now, virtues, the things that we're going to be talking about, virtues take discipline and consistency and maturity and responsibility. That whole sentence sucked, didn't it? Ah. But that's the way it is. Why is it that way? Because God wants us to be more than just children that he gives things to. And you can't take character issues and stand up before God and say, fix me. Because that's not the way it works. Now, it may be that God instantaneously heals you of depression. And I would wish that for everyone. And me, in case you forgot, we've talked about that a couple thousand times. But if that's not going to happen, the question becomes, how do I act responsibly with the stewardship of this? You'll notice in your Bible, in the book of Exodus, you have the childlike faith of Israel in the sense that God just delivers everything. Miracle, and this, and split the sea, and manna, and everything. But it doesn't stay that way. As they learn to worship, and they learn his word, and they learn his ways, when you move into the book of Joshua, God says, we, you and I together, in intimacy, are going to conquer the promised land. You're going to learn to obey me and to follow my instructions. But you're going to have to fight. I'm not going to do it all for you. 
I don't like saying it. You don't like hearing it. Because part of what God's trying to do is he's trying to teach an intimate trust. It's moving out of sort of the parent mode where you just give your kids everything like you have to when they're small to them stepping up to the plate of what it means to be responsible and to be in relationship. So it says this in Psalm 40, 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. Oh, let me just stop. Let me, let me not say anything else for a minute. Trust me, when you're depressed, that pain is there. Waiting patiently is not what you want to hear. But that's what you have to hear. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined and he heard my cry. And he brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. There's a lot going on there, but I want you to notice a few things. One is, God listens when we cry out in pain. But I also want you to notice, if you cry out in pain and you're asking God to listen to you, the reverse comes into play. Listen to him. And oftentimes depression is our own tapes in our minds getting real dark. Are you going to let God speak into that his truth? He brought me up out of the pit of of destruction and out of the miry clay. Are you going to let him direct your steps and bring you someplace? You may know already the bad places to go. Are you going to wait patiently for where he wants you to go? Where he wants you to go in scripture or singing or calling a friend and asking for help or all kinds of other possibilities. Third, he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. My depression is a swamp. It's a a miry muck. What, What kind of rock could I stand on? The rock I can stand on is how he sees me, not how I see me. What he says about me, not what I say about me. But his love for me, the good work he started in me, he will bring to completion. His promises, his precepts, his principles, his person. He gets the last say on who I am, not me. But it takes some time to switch these gears. Then it says he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Notice, if you're really depressed and you're in miry clay, the last thing you're thinking about is singing a praise song to God. But if you listen to him and you connect to his principles and you let his truth guide your mind, then all of a sudden you're worshiping. And that's part of what you have to do to break loose of depression's stranglehold is you have to get your mind off of yourself and into something bigger and stronger than yourself. Psalm 19, 7 through 8, it says this. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Notice the things that God's word does. It restores the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. Does God's word have an emotional effect on us? Yes, it can. But it doesn't work if you just play Bible roulette every now and then and flip through. 
And it doesn't, you know, a, a, a little five-minute devotion doesn't always cut it. It's soaking and steeping and saturating yourself in what God says about you. What his principles are, his proverbs are, his precepts are. And then following those down the road. If we spend a certain amount of time in our own heads thinking dark thoughts, then we've got to step out of our own heads, let him order our thoughts, and we've got to give that time to have an effect where it's sticking instead of what had been sticking to us. So if part of it is connecting to the person of Christ, and part of it is connecting to God's word, and part of it is connecting to worship, and we've talked about some other things like sleep and going and getting counseling, there's another one that I want you to think about. It's creation in Psalm 19, 1 through 2. It says this, The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. I don't mean to be funny, and I probably won't be because I'm not a funny person, but I can sit in front of the TV, right, and watch all kinds of stuff. Or I can have my little screen in front of me watching all kinds of stuff. Is it deeply affecting my emotions in a great way? Now compare that to something. Compare that to the last time you sat on the beach and the tide rolled in and the breakers rolled over and you heard that gushing sound and your blood pressure went down. Or the last time that you were out fishing Last time you are by a babbling brook. Last time you, 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 you sat in just a, a warm jacket in the fall when the leaves are blowing off the trees, but it's all orange and, and just the way it calms you down, the way sunrise and sunset. In fact, I could maybe speculate that the creator has built creation to have a very specific effect on his creatures. And that we're constantly exiting his plan for these stupid little screens and social media that psychologists tell us is destroying our self-esteem and making us depressed. We're exiting God's creation. But what would it be like if you stepped back into it? So here's my point to my marathon training of depression. My point is you've got to deeply connect with Christ and know that he understands what you're going through. You've got to deeply connect with God's word. And you've got to learn to wait instead of making a really bad, quick decision. And you've got to step into creation. And if you do all these things, I've got good news for you. The good news for you is I'm a relatively well-managed, really, really, really clinically depressed person who experiences a lot of peace and a lot of joy and a lot of hope and a lot of meaning. Do I have to take time doing this stuff? I do. What happens if you don't take this time, David? 
bad things happen. What happens if I do take the time? Good things happen. Everybody in this room, now you know a lot about depression. You know a lot about how to manage it, how to steward it, how to help one another in it. Let me pray for us. Father God, we come before you in the brokenness of our humanity, knowing that sin, whether it's somebody else's or our own, has hit every single one of us and shattered us in some area. Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters in this room. If you would instantaneously heal them, I, with all of my heart, Jesus, I pray that you would do that. But if not, Father, if this is our cross to bear, may we help each other carry this cross. May we learn to carry it righteously through the marathon of life. May we depend on your spirit and your scriptures and your savior. And may you teach us how to have joy in the midst of ashes. We pray all this in the name of Jesus the Christ, all God's people said.